Hello and welcome to the iChiefs podcast series brought to you by the International Association of Fire Chiefs. This is a podcast series not only for our members within the IAFC, but really for any fire service leader who wants to learn about engaging topics to our industry, innovation, leadership skills, and all the other emerging subjects that are important in our arena. I'm Tom Jenkins, Fire Chief of the City of Rogers, Arkansas, and a past IAFC president. And I'm Sheldon Gilbert, former Fire Chief of the Alameda County, California Fire Department, and now ESCI Chief Development and Strategy Officer at the IAFC. We're glad you're here because this podcast is designed for you, the fire and EMS community. Before we start this week's topic, make sure to check out our library of episodes at iafc.org slash podcasts and subscribe to our podcast series at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. If you think the content is great, be sure to share it with your crew and give us a good rating or a thumbs up. Well, we're joined today with a guest that has... In my opinion, uh, celebrity status among the fire service because he was the initial incident commander at was at what was and still is uh, the most uh, violent incident of domestic terrorism that the country has ever experienced, and that's in the city of New York on September the 11th, 2001. And so today we are joined by Chief Joe Pfeiffer, who retired from the FDNY after 37 years on the job. Uh, fighting fire before I was even born, uh, retiring in 2018. He retired there as uh, as the chief for counterterrorism and emergency preparedness, a very long and distinguished career. And so, uh, Joe, thank you so much, Chief, for being with us today. We, we appreciate uh, that you'd carve time out of your busy schedule these days. Uh, thank you, Tom. It's always good to, uh, to talk to you and to talk to the, uh, to the firefighters and, and chiefs. My well. pleasure. Well, it's, uh, it's an honor, and it always is to see you. Um, I've always admired not only how you conducted yourself that day, even today when I listen to you talk about uh, being self-aware enough to slow your thinking down in, in what was a cascading incident, uh, you're a true professional, and uh, your continuous commitment to this business is a testimony to just the kind of person you are, and uh, it's great to be here. While September 11th is part of your biography, no doubt, I was curious, can you tell our audience, our listeners, a little bit about your career prior to 9-11? How did you get to the 1st Battalion in the borough of Manhattan? Yeah, um, so I actually started my fire career as a volunteer firefighter in New York City at Rockaway Point Volunteer Fire Department, which is which is in Queens. So one of a half a dozen still volunteer fire departments, which serves the beach community. And the volunteers had four-wheel drive fire trucks. And uh, I started that at, when I was 18. <laughs> well, that's unbelievable. So, so you get on the job in what year? And then I get on uh, FDNY in, in 1981. 1981. And tell me about, uh, you, know, you're, you know, battalion chief in a city the size of New York is a lot of responsibility, but that's a, that's a long ladder to climb. What, where did you promote? Did you always serve in the borough of Manhattan? Or? I started off in Brooklyn. Okay. In Crown Heights and Bed-Stuy in Engine 234. And then I went to the truck across the floor, literally, after three years to the ladder 123. So this was the time that the city was burning. 
There was a lot of arson fires and, 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 and the poor communities were suffering. And I had a fire or responded to a fire on every tour that I worked. And they were straight tours. There weren't 24s back then because we just went to too many fires. And sometimes as many as three occupied structural fires in one tour. Wow, that's that's unbelievable. So you and you saw a lot of change, I guess, throughout your career. How long had you been a battalion chief uh, prior to September the 11th? Before September the 11th, I was, I guess, a battalion chief for four years. So for four years. So you were seasoned by the time you encountered uh, that horrific day. Um, so today, we're I'm visiting with Chief Pfeiffer at Fire Rescue International. We're here in Charlotte together. And I'm curious, I, I watched you on stage with uh, the other guests, that panel that was just, I mean, that, that was uh, moving for me in the audience. I can't imagine uh, what it had been like for you all. How, how did it feel to talk about that day almost 20 years later uh, in the out there on the stage today? Well, today was a, a special day because we were talking to, um, to firefighters and the fire chiefs. So it felt uh, what we wanted to do, Chief uh, Commissioner Cassano, um, uh, Chief Jim Schwartz, and uh, Special Agent in Charge, Chris, Chris Combs, and myself, what we wanted to do was to make it feel like we're sitting around a firehouse table, a kitchen table in a firehouse, and, and just telling the stories. Because we know... Oh, I know through my career, that's how I learned. Sitting at the table and hearing stories about big fires. So we, we wanted that feeling um, between us and, and the audience. Well, mission accomplished. I looked around, why, uh, having met you before and had the privilege to visit with you, I was curious how the audience would receive the, a panel like that. Any one of you individually would be, I think, a big deal for fire service professionals. So to have all four of you is almost overwhelming. They were transfixed, and they were listening. And so mission accomplished with that. I, I'm curious, um, one, of the, one of the comments that I heard today that really struck with me, and as a, a former uh, chief of counterterrorism and emergency preparedness in our nation's largest city, arguably the most complex environment to do that job, the FBI special agent in charge, Chris Combs, said that while there was a lot of good things that happened, specifically at the Pentagon site in Arlington, that some of the lessons learned that, that were maybe in that after-action report, probably in the after-action report on the Trade Center, from the Trade Center, he says he, he still sees that in these large incidents, whether they're active shooters uh, or something else. Do, do you think that the fire service has has made some progress in terms of how we handle these large complex incidents do you agree with uh, special agent in charge uh, combs when he says that a lot of the problems we have then he still sees now what, what are your thoughts well we use a term especially as we approach the 20th anniversary never forget and certainly we should never forget the the our, our first responders who died that day and 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 the uh, actually uh, 2,977 people uh, who, who died in, in the attacks in New York, at the Pentagon, and in Pennsylvania. But there's another thing we should never forget. 
And that's the lessons we learned. And one of the biggest lessons is that we need to work together. That the fire service and law enforcement need to stand arm in arm. And not only do we have to stand next to each other at big events, we also need to, to share information. And um, part of that is sharing intelligence. I never thought when I started my fire career that I would have a, a top secret clearance. But I, I, when I w was the chief of counterterrorism, I did. I don't have it anymore, so I have no more secrets. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think we build relationships with our partners. And that's something you have to work on every day. So it's not like, oh, those guys did it and we just follow along. It's like every day we need to build relationships and learning how to, how, how to command together at large and small incidents. And if we don't do that, then we'll repeat the same mistakes of the past. Well, you have a good way to kind of weave a phrase like never forget and, and help create a, a lesson learned. And I, I think that's, man, that's valuable advice for all of our fire service professionals that it's not just about the memory of the victims. It's about making sure that we don't repeat the same mistakes. That's uh, that's valuable insight. I, um, I'm curious. You have, you have, when I last saw you, we were in uh, Fairfax, Virginia, Chantilly, I think actually. And uh, you were either just getting ready to retire or had just retired. Either way, you were still there talking about fire as a weapon and as a threat, and you clearly weren't retired. How is retirement going, Chief? Retirement is as busy as ever for you me. You failed, I, haven't you? I failed at retirement. <laughs> My wife wonders, what am I doing? <laughs> so um, I'm teaching at, at uh, Harvard Kennedy School and at uh, Columbia University. And what I teach is about crisis leadership. During large-scale events, uh, and, uh, novel events, events that we, we never thought of, how, how do we start to, to not only deal with the event, but, but how do we lead in a crisis? So, so that's a lot of my attention is, is, is on that, a little consulting on the side. And I, I just finished writing a, my memoirs in a book, which took a lot of time. I can only imagine. So a book that is based on your memoirs, what, what would cause you two decades after that horrible day? What, what caused you to decide you wanted to reduce some of your thoughts to writing? What was the instigating factor there? So originally I wanted to write an academic book. <laughs> and uh, my publisher, Penguin Random House, said, no, that's your second book. <laughs> <laughs> so my first book is, is a historical story or... I should say a personal story. What was it like for me going through that day? What was it like for my firehouse? Engine, engine seven and, and ladder one. And what was it like for, for, for other firefighters? So what they'll hear in, in my book entitled Ordinary Heroes is the story of these ordinary heroes that I saw in 9-11 and what it felt like for me to, to lead um, people during a, a very complex incident where things were happening very quickly. What are some 
quick. I don't want to give away the meat of your book, but I'm curious. You know, that's a a memoir like that about ordinary heroes, and I think that's how a lot of firefighters would would at best characterize their 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 the the brothers and sisters that they put on hero status. I think we we all would admit that oftentimes we're an ordinary bunch that comes together to do some some cool things and as you put it today extra extraordinary times what are what are some quick takeaways that that you might share with our listeners about about what you think are is important for crisis level leaders to to know and understand people people should understand that during a, a complex event many things are happening all at the same time so how do we how do we connect and collaborate with our security partners? Um, so I, I go through telling the story where some of that didn't happen. But I also tell the story on how that changed and how we built a, a new system for, for working with each other by literally standing with, within arm's distance of one another. Um, by, by bringing a, a, a diverse group of responders to, together. So it's not just fire chiefs gathering at, at a big incident, it's fire chiefs standing next to police chiefs and EMS chiefs. And as the incident grows, um, there's many other agencies working with, with uh, state, local, uh, tribal, and, and territorial um, all this coming together, um, and that's a demanding load on, on, on leaders. So what I talk about is some of those skills that we need to develop within the fire service to deal with complex incidents. And I, in the book, I tell it on a, a very personal level. Now, um, I want, uh, I can only imagine present company included, that people are going to want to read these memoirs. How, when does the book come out, and, and how would interested parties uh, be able to purchase it? The book is going to be published on September 7th, and it'll be um, available on anywhere you buy books. It'll be on Amazon, of course, and in many of the other uh, bookstores. It'll, it'll be a, a hard copy, and we're also doing a a audio book, and, and of course there'll be a, um, a digital version. So you, you, people will have a choice of, uh, of three different versions. So really, whatever people are used to dealing in with, with, with books, um, um, they'll have the opportunity to do that. Well, Chief, I uh, applaud you and your career with the FDNY. I think it's fantastic that somebody of your talent and experience continues to give back. Uh, Columbia University and of course at Harvard teaching about crisis leadership I can think of nobody else that would have the level of street credibility uh, that you would bring to those programs so uh, my hat's off to you I'm uh, I'm sorry that you failed so bad in retirement but in many ways I'm a hypocrite because I'm glad that you have failed we need to listen to you we still have a lot to learn we've been talking today with Joe Pfeiffer uh, who retired from the FDNY as the Chief of Counterterrorism and Emergency Preparedness. This is one of uh, two podcasts that we'll be doing uh, about 9-11. Uh, we'll be hearing in a future podcast from our friends at FirstNet talking about communications, both data, telephonic, radio communication, and, and how far we've come 
from uh, that day. And so, uh, Joe, thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. I, I hope you know how much it means to the fire service to, to carve out a little bit of your busy schedule and be able to visit with you. Uh, thank you, Tom. It's, it's always a pleasure to talk to you and, and, uh, and our firefighters. Thank well, you. Thank you to our listeners. Be sure to uh, download uh, our podcast, follow us, give us some reviews, and, of course, always submit your ideas for people like Chief Pfeiffer that you'd like to listen to and learn from. Uh, We're honored uh, to have you download and listen to us, and we look forward for you to join us on our next podcast. Thank you, Chief Pfeiffer, and thank you to our listeners. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.